Welcome to the Ambulatory Healthcare Today podcast, hosted by the NextGen Advisors. Accelerate your success with insights from a multidisciplinary team of healthcare experts as they discuss an array of topics. These timely discussions can help you better navigate the challenges of running your ambulatory care practice. Here is your host. Hello, this is Dr. Marty Lustig, Senior Vice President and Principal with NextGen Advisors. We're thrilled to have with us today a special guest, Mo Chablis, to discuss interoperability. Mo is the Vice President of Solutions here at NextGen Healthcare. Mo, before we get started on our topic, can you tell us a little about yourself and your responsibilities here at NextGen? Sure. Hey, Marty. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, I've been at NextGen almost 10 years now, uh, if you can believe it, because I can barely believe it, uh, and purely focused on interoperability and data exchange. So my team and I are in product management, and we have the responsibility of managing the specific solutions that we deliver to customers that support interoperability. So that includes things like the EHR's interoperability platform that we call NextGen Share. It also includes our open source integration engine, Mirth Connect, uh, and my team and I are also responsible for supporting our uh, health information exchange clients. So those are organizations that are typically nonprofit, state-designated entities that aggregate and share clinical data in their local geographies. So across like our portfolio of interoperability, Uh, It's more than just one solution. It's more than just one capability. It's really a a mix of many different, uh, many different types of solutions and offerings. Uh, And in this 10 years uh, here at NextGen, I've had a chance to work with our clients to support their data exchange. And it's a really, uh, a very fulfilling part of, you know, my career uh, is watching how data exchange actually helps improve patient outcomes. Uh, and so it's just a really cool place to be kind of at that center of data collection, uh, data delivery, and then data usage. That entire life cycle is a core part of uh, what my group and I are focused on here at NextGen. Well, great. We clearly have the right person with us to talk about this subject. Um, so is sort of an introduction to the topic. Uh, in, in many ways, the 21st Century Cures Act was a major milestone in this journey towards uh, true interoperability. And it defined three key components of interoperability. And I'm gonna quote the language. First was the secure exchange of electronic health information with and use of electronic health information from other health information technology without special effort on the part of the user. The second is complete access, exchange, and use of all electronically accessible health information for authorized use under applicable state or federal law. And then finally, the technology uh, has to be structured so that it does not constitute information blocking as defined in Section 3022A. So for me, and probably for many of our listeners, those words are a little dense. Can you Uh, help us sort of understand what do you take away as the key elements of that definition? Yeah. So I'm just a, in a way relieved that we now have a formal definition of interoperability enshrined in a law, a law that was passed in a bipartisan way. 
um, and widely supported by both branches of Congress and the executive branch. And so we now have, let's just start with the fact that we have a definition. Obviously, the definition has all these three parts that you just described, but there are a few key pieces of that definition that really stand out to me. Number one is this idea of without special effort on part of the user, that interoperability and data exchange should not require the user, so the user in this context is the provider, the organization, the healthcare facility, the patient, the payer, uh, anyone who interacts with and uses clinical data, the exchange of that data should not require special effort on the part of the user. And that phrase, without special effort, is actually derived from a, a broader definition of interoperability that had nothing to do with healthcare. It was part of uh, an IEEE standard for data exchange many, many years ago. Uh, and it's a really key concept that it should just work, right? The data should just flow and should just work across systems. The second part of that definition is around complete access, right? So in the past, we had this idea that, okay, I only need to send the minimum necessary. Well, now this new definition says, no, the full uh, the full patient record, the full record needs to be exchanged or at least exchangeable through an interoperability solution. And then finally, that last part of it is so critical, this idea that it should not constitute information blocking. And before the advent of this definition, the, the default position was, and it still is, HIPAA. HIPAA still is applicable, but now we have, the, so HIPAA, what HIPAA said was that you may share right? You can share. Now the default is completely reversed, is that you will share uh, and you should not introduce any rules uh, or policies or procedures or technology that block the sharing of the data. So really we've inverted the entire paradigm now that the default is sharing. And really this is the only part of, I'd say, this definition that I have a little bit of a friction with this part of the definition is that this negative connotation about information blocking, really I think what they intended is more of this default position of information sharing as the open and, and like default policy. And I think this potentially is going to have the, the, the biggest positive boon to our industry is that collectively as providers, as patients, as vendors, uh, and anyone who interacts with healthcare data, it now is an obligation upon all of us to make sure that data can flow seamlessly. And I think the goal with this is that um, the, the, the benefits should accrue to the patients. And there's this cliche in healthcare that, you know, we're all patients. Right. Uh, but until you're in that seat and until you need to get the treatment, mm -hmm. until you request your copy of the medical record and see the challenges and the difficulty of getting it, um, I, I really hope that with this new definition, we'll have... Uh, a, a new process that patients can easily mm -hmm. feel empowered to access and exchange their record and decide um, with whom it will be shared. So really excited about this definition. But yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Right. It's a little ironic from my personal perspective because I'm old enough and I started my practice in Kaiser Permanente. And Kaiser's uh, value proposition to provider physicians and patients before there were ever computers in healthcare, really, was that there was a single medical record. There was a chart. You know, as a pediatrician, I would see my patient. If my patient, if I referred my patient to the ENT doctor, the chart would go with the patient to physically 
to the visit with the ENT doctor. So all the notes from all the specialists were in the same physical binder. And here we are 40 years later, trying to figure out how to accomplish the same outcomes with an electronic infrastructure, which should be a whole lot easier than than sending paper charts around. But uh, it just feels a little ironic to me that that we're that we're fine. From what you're saying, we're finally getting there. Um, can you talk a little bit more about when it comes to really achieving these kinds of, of uh, exchange of information? What are the inherent challenges in actually making it real in this? really complicated, from my perspective, complicated electronic environment? Yeah, I think it's a great question because, you know, in the old days, like you said, when you can just move a binder around and that binder includes all of the clinical information for that patient, uh, it was really easy just in that one place to have the full historical record. But as soon as we have multiple EHR systems, you know, an organization that is geographically diverse and has offices in many places, moving physical paper around is very hard. What we've done in the last 10 years as an industry is we've we've laid all of this copper fire, this copper out there. Now we've delivered EHRs to the point of care. Providers over the last 10, 15 years have spent the time implementing those EHRs to capture the clinical content. And, you know, think speaking of cliches again, there used to be this cliche, maybe there still is, that these EHRs don't speak the same language. Well, now with the regulatory environment, we have actually a definition of what are the specific data elements that have to be captured by all of the EHRs and in what format should they be captured. And this is enshrined in something called the U.S. Core Data for Interoperability, USCDI. And the USCDI rules say if you're going to record a, a medication, it has to be in a specific format. Mm -hmm. And the idea is if we all record in that same format, then when we go to exchange the data, that same content will be usable. So a core challenge was just building up the infrastructure to ensure that everybody had access to an EHR. And then that those EHRs would record content in a usable way. And then we had to establish exchange networks that allow us to take that content that was recorded and trust other participants on that network. Uh, and this was a core part of what made interoperability so difficult was before the advent of things like direct trust or care quality or the e-health exchange or Commonwealth, uh, everyone who wanted to exchange data was on their own to build their own secure pipe to another provider and another organization. But now we do have national and local interoperability pipelines that allow us to share data with one another. And that first step of just recording the content, making it in the same standard, you know, the next level was that trust. How do I trust that when I send a record to Dr. Marty, uh, you know, you'll have access and, and be able to, you know, recognize that I'm also a trusted part of the community. I can share with you, you can share with me and so on. We now have those national networks. The next level though, is making that data usable. So <laughs> there's actually a flip of the coin now where we have so much exchange of data that providers are getting overwhelmed with the quantity um, and the quality of the data that's being exchanged with them. And that's another new challenge that uh, I think is emerging uh, in the space right now. Right. The challenges seem endless. You overcome one and you, you encounter, you create a new one 
Um, That's exactly but it, right. It does remind me of my own experience uh, being on the board of the um, Community Health Information Exchange almost 15 years ago when a lot of the issues that you talked about initially hadn't been resolved yet. Um, but also I was able to see up close the value that you can bring. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more about how a community health information exchange, having those pipelines in place and you know, how is it positively impacting the provider's ability to take better care of their patients? Yeah, so I th it's a really great question because I think, you know, interoperability really hits home on a local level, right? Patients certainly do travel from one state to another, right? Patients in the Northeast typically, um, you know, uh, in the winter may go down to Florida, certain patients, this this idea of snowbirds. So there's a national type of interoperability, but the majority of care happens in a, in a community. And so an HIE, a data aggregator, is often playing the role these days of a data utility for their community, right? Not that unlike a power utility, where the goal with the utilities was to make sure that every single last mile connection was enabled. If you're part of our community, you're going to have power, you're going to have phone, you're going to have internet, and now you're also going to have healthcare data access to everyone else. And this idea of a utility is a utility is useful at the individual level, but also in the aggregate. HIEs today have played a role um, of that utility, especially in the recent you know, COVID pandemic, providing data to public health, uh, reporting on vaccination rates, reporting on hospital uh, capacity, reporting on um, you know, patient outcomes with certain conditions. HIEs have been part of and central to uh, many of the studies that showed the efficacy of uh, vaccines and the efficacy of um, certain procedures and treatment options uh, for COVID. HIEs have also, you know, in our in our world today where uh, technology is so prevalent, HIEs have also played a role of being a backup data provider when health IT systems go down mm -hmm. or are victims to uh, uh, hacking or ransomware attacks, HIEs have been the fallback position to provide data to those community hospitals and local providers to make sure that they stay connected. Um, and this is exactly the role that you'd want a utility to provide is this type of last mile connection and fallback, um, you know, infrastructure. But there's one other piece that I think is really important and has yet, I would say, to fully reveal itself which many years ago, ONC and HHS defined the national goals for data exchange and interoperability to include the advent of a learning healthcare system mm -hmm. where collectively we feed data, all this data that we've been collecting and aggregating uh, into the pipeline. And on the other side, we can derive uh, public health measures and public health interventions uh, based on the full view of clinical content across an entire community. Now, I think we're at the early days of that learning healthcare system. You know, in our conversation today, we've kind of painted this picture that, you know, we had to build incrementally from no data to some data to more data to now rules-based analytics across an entire, an entire network of clinical data aggregation. I think that's the, the, the next phase of where we want to go is actually proving that we can make 
and derive insights from all this content that is being shared. Sometimes it will just be, you know, based on de-identified data. Other times it may be identified data um, at scale to show, you know, how treatment interventions work and what we can do better uh, to improve patient and provider outcomes. So that's, I think the value of HIEs will be proven um, as they embark on those next level efforts around community insights. Yeah, I, I, that's a really important point you're making. One thing I would go back to in this space as well, you know, having spent a fair amount of my career in the health plan side of things where we were focused on, you know, meeting quality metrics and costs and beginning value-based contracting, that the, the value of a health information exchange in enabling success on a provider to avoid duplicating testing, for example, a very simple thing, but patient comes into the emergency room and you can see that they already had an MRI scan for their low back pain uh, at another institution, you know, three weeks ago, you don't necessarily have to repeat that scan when they're in the emergency room. Um, So there are cost savings, waste reduction opportunities, as well as making it much easier to see from a gap closure perspective, if a patient, for example, with diabetes got their uh, eye exam done, again, at a different, potentially at a different institution than the one where you're working as a primary care doctor, and there's no other way for you to know about that, um, having not received a report from them, that you can then look it up on the, on the community health information exchange, or even better yet, have it delivered directly to you automatically. So I've seen that value side of it up close. And really, you know, along with what the other things you were saying, in many ways, these community HIEs have become a utility already and are a foundational component of the infrastructure uh, for the for the communities that they serve. I'd like to uh, shift gears a little bit and get your thoughts on what seems like a a little bit newer and growing trend, and that's the use of a health information exchange capability within a provider organization, particularly those that are growing quickly. Um, Can you help us understand why this is happening and your thoughts about where it might be going? Absolutely, yeah. So this is, what's funny is interoperability is useful kind of at that community level, at the org level, but also within an organization, you often have these uh, unnecessary barriers potentially within a practice or within an organization to access uh, data. There's also in an, a growing organization, um, especially if you've acquired a new practice or opened up a new location, uh, you're often faced with this idea of a legacy system that has to be brought in to your current EHR. And I think a lot of customers that we've talked to have seen a benefit in using interoperability services to get data from a legacy system into a new system in kind of a fast, easy uh, to integrate uh, manner without having to go through the full heavy lift of a legacy data migration. So there are these emerging services that interoperability and HIE uh, can provide to assist organizations in that type of M&A activity. And our tools uh, you know, allow, let's say like bulk import of data from, um, from, you know, uh, CCDAs, for example, mm-hmm. uh, this is not an abnormal use case. And in fact, one of the core 
uh, aspects of you know some of the some of the regulate some of the new certification requirements around EHRs uh, require EHR vendors in a few years to be able to support bulk EHI export. All the available clinical content is now being defined as EHI, electronic health information, and EHRs will have to provide a way to bulk export that content in a human-readable and in a machine-readable uh, format. So wow. it's right up there with just core business operations. Uh, interoperability plays a critical role um, for, for those types of orgs that are growing. Wow. That's fascinating, Mo. And this has been incredibly informative. I want to thank you, Mo Shebley, uh, for sharing your insights with us today. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for this episode of Ambulatory Healthcare Today. This is Dr. Marty Lustig with NextGen Advisors. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Ambulatory Healthcare Today podcast, hosted by the NextGen Advisors. Never miss an episode by subscribing at nextgen.com slash podcast. To see a list of products and services tailored for ambulatory care practices, visit nextgen.com.